It's time to encounter the truth about family living in God's handbook for skillful living in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. Our study leader is Dave Wardson, and we're going to get down to the basics. Is there a life architect? And if there is, what is his name? Let's join Dave as we begin the lesson. Let's join Dave as we begin today's lesson titled, Respect the Architect. When I came to Midlothian, I didn't have the foggiest idea what, what was inside a wall. I was raised in a family where I remember when my mom and dad built a house that my dad did one thing in the building of his new house. And I've shared that with some of you before. He went down the basement after the house was completely finished and he had to hang a picture. And he took out a 16 penny nail and put the 16 on the wall and started driving it. And he hit a snag. It just would not go into the wall. So he reared back and just smashed that nail in and it went in perfect. Man, it went in just the right width and just the right depth. And he put the picture up on the wall. And my dad, as he often does, went away on meetings for about two weeks. And when he came home, there was about six inches of water in his basement because he drove a 16-penny nail right through the copper water line. He had no idea what was inside a wall. I was raised like that. When I came to Midlothian, if you asked me what's inside the wall of, uh, of a building, of a house, I would have told you I don't have the foggiest idea. But ever since I came to Midlothian, we've been doing nothing but, but tearing walls down and tearing roofs off buildings. In the old church, we started tearing roofs off. But I can't say now that I don't know what's inside the wall. In fact, Mary and I decided that we would build a home here in Midlothian. And we decided that it, we needed to be creative in the way we built this house. And so what we did is we just went down to Midlothian Lumberyard and we just told them to just bring a truck up loaded with lumber. And boy, later on that week, a big truck rode down Meadowbrook Lane and just dropped about $30,000 worth of lumber right there in the front yard. And Mary and I just started gluing PVC and nailing boards and stringing wire. Man, we had the greatest experience you could ever have. I mean, you talk about doing your own thing. You talk about free and easy creativity. And what to our wondering eyes should appear about two months later but a total mess. Now, you all laugh about that. Obviously, we didn't do that. In fact, Bill Brown had to come to me and say, Dave, I really know how to build houses. I built my own house in Alvarado. I built several other houses before the house in Alvarado that you see. I built several house, other houses for Joanne and I. I know how to do it. I can build your house. And so I went to the bank. You know, the bank wouldn't even accept Bill Brown's word for it. You know, I had to go into the bank over there in Waxahachie, and I had to have a detailed blueprint I mean, they wanted to know the dimensions of the house. They wanted to know all the material that would go into it. They needed real detailed drawings before they let us have the money, even though the interest rate was very high. It wasn't quite as high as it got. We got in just this time. But the bank, even though they're going to make all this money on interest, they still wouldn't let us build the house until we showed them a detailed blueprint. You say, well, Dave, any idiot would know that you don't just start gluing PVC and nailing boards. You've got to have an architect. You need to have blueprints. You need to have a design. Now, all of us know that when it comes to building a house. And yet, many people in our world will say that you can build a life, that you can build a life without an architect 
and without a design. We've been talking about how to live a skillful life. That's the theme of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 has been teaching us. It wants us to know internally how to live a skillful life which will come through discipline. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 1. We want to begin to look at the motto of the book. Because the motto of this book takes us down to the ground floor, to the foundation, to the concrete that we're going to build this skillful home upon. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise the purpose of the book from verse 2. The purpose of the book is to help us to internalize skillful living which comes through discipline. But there's a fool that we'll face in life, a hardened, impenetrable fool who despises skillful living which comes through discipline. The contrast to this fool is an individual who begins with the reverence of God. The fear of the Lord. You know, I believe that as soon as I mention that word fear, that some of us say, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the fear of God. In fact, I would say that that's probably one of the most missing concepts in our life with God in the church today. Nobody fears God anymore. In fact, our society, you know, we have films where we have God presented as an old man who kind of is very kindly, and he comes down and visits our planet, and he's kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost. I even talked to some people that said, oh, the film really moved them. It was so good to begin to think about God on human terms, you know. It's amazing, like when I do funerals, I get into a lot of conversations about God. It seems that when people die, you do a lot of thinking about God. The incredible thing to me, though, is that everyone is a self-styled expert about God. In other words, we talk about building a house. For example, just take the electrical side of a house. I'm not an expert in electricity. Ask Wally McWhorter. I mean, Wally has to, when I do some electrical work, he has to pray fervently. For example, I just hung some lights up in our house and I worked under the mistaken notion. I was very sincere. I had it all thought out. It was a good idea. It made sense. If you turned the switch off in the room, it was dead up in the light. And so you could safely take pliers and fool around with the wires up there. I was very sincere. You can have your own ideas about electricity, right? I mean, some people wire a house one way, other people wire it other ways, and I had a very sincere idea, turn it off on the wall, everything will be all right in the ceiling. I put a pair of steel pliers up there, kaboom, like that, knocked me right off the ladder. You all laugh, you say, how could you be so stupid? Every one of you men and women out there would say, how could you ever be so stupid? Everybody knows there's laws of electricity. You need to learn some realities about wiring houses. You don't just do it your own way. And yet that's what a lot of you want to do with your relationship with God. Almost every one of you out there are self-styled experts. I know God. I know what he's like. I know what will happen when I die. And I want to ask you something. How do you know that? Some of you even sit out there and some of you work with people that say there isn't any God. So I think that's a good place to start out. I think that's a good place to start out. We can't fear somebody that isn't even there. 
And so let's just get down to the basic root floor. As we begin the book of Proverbs, if there's nobody there that we should fear, if there's nobody there that we should reverence, then why even talk about him? I think we need to be really honest about this. Is there a God? Is there a creator? Carl Sagan says in the beginning of his book that we've talked to you about sometime in the past, the beginning of his book, Cosmos, begins like this. The cosmos, all that is, all that ever will be, and all that ever has been. The cosmos. He says, whatever gods there might be. He capitalizes C-O-S-M-O-S, -O -S, cosmos, the universe. He capitalizes cosmos, but he talks about whatever gods there might be in small letters. Now, Carl Sagan has his Ph.D. from Cornell, and he is representative of a circle like um, Asmanoff, who's a brilliant novelist, and Mishner, who a lot of you have read Mishner's books. A whole group of very elite American intellectuals that will tell you they were speaking to you this morning. There really isn't the personal Christian God. There might be an it that's out there. In fact, Carl Sagan, if he was here today, would say that we need to invest millions, like I've shared with you in the past, we need to invest millions and millions of dollars in trying to listen to radio signals from outer space. And maybe that great ultimate being that's out there will send a message to us. In fact, in his novel, Contact, the whole point of the book, Contact, this novel he wrote, is all the complexity of how we as human beings would be able to decode a message from this great ultimate it that might be out there somewhere. Some of you as believers sit here and say, oh, you know, how in the world could anybody believe that? But large sections of our society really are getting into that. The visions and the voices from beyond, the voices from other worlds. It's an incredible thing to me. Back in the 60s, I was raised in a very scientific very rational world. In fact, when I was in college and everyone was scratching their head, how could there ever be a God in this scientific mechanistic world? We're talking about talking to the voices of the dead and reincarnation and all the mysticism of the East. In fact, a lot of people are talking about the gods, G-O-D-S, the force. There's a force field around all of you. It's what holds all of you together. You need to give in to your feelings. Turn off the rational scientific mindset. Just turn it off a little bit. Get into your emotions. Feel it, man. Feel it. And you can tap into the force. You'll be able to shoot the rockets at just the right moment and blow the Death Star to smithereens. Now, obviously, oh, it's just a story. Yeah, it is just a story. But it's another view of what about G-O-D? What about God? What is God like? Now, I want to share with you that there is a wise man. His name in Proverbs is not Carl Sagan. In fact, his name isn't even Solomon. In fact, this fellow probably wasn't even an Israelite. But in order to understand the fear of the Lord, I think we need to go back and let this ancient wise man share with us some of his ideas. He was not nearly as prideful as Carl Sagan. He didn't believe the scientific method could answer life's problems. He really didn't feel that a radio telescope could get in touch with beyond. Because in Proverbs chapter 30, he asked some very penetrating questions about this whole question of, is there a God and how can we know God? Proverbs chapter 30. Because we're not going to fear somebody that we don't think is there and we need to do some thinking about whether or not we know that he is there. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1 begins like this. The sayings 
And these are the spiritual oracles. The word sayings is a strong word. It has to do with an inspired oracle. The inspired oracle of Augur. Are there any Augurs here this morning? A-G-U-R? Anybody have the first name Augur? That's really a strange name. In fact, the Bible scholars have worked for centuries trying to understand what this name means. This guy's name was Augur, the son of Yaka. Boy, you talk about a guy with clout. I mean, that's, that's better than Karim Abdul-Jabbar, you know. Augur, the son of Yaka, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel and to Ukal. Now, evidently, those were some of his disciples or possibly some of his co-patriots. We know from the book of Kings that Solomon had contact with wise men from all over the ancient Near East, I think it's very possible that these three men represent some of this wisdom from some of the other ancient kingdoms, possibly Northern Arabia. And so we don't really know exactly, we don't know very much about them is what I'm trying to say. And I could go into all kinds of explanations over what these names mean. And I've been reading about them all week. And I think we're just gonna leave it. Agur was a non-Israelite wise man from one of the other kingdoms that was around. And yet it's not really his identity that's so important, it's what he said. In verse 2, he begins his little declaration to us. I am the most ignorant of men. Humble guy. How many of you would stand up and say, hey, I am the most ignorant of men? He goes on to say this. I don't even have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. You know, this is a very, very important declaration he's making. Carl Sagan has his PhD from Cornell. Joshua has his PhD from the Wurtzen household. You know what Augur is saying? Who are you going to depend upon for knowledge about God? You want to depend upon Joshua? Or do you want to depend upon a PhD from Cornell? You know what Augur is saying? When it comes to this business of knowing whether or not there's a God or not, or knowing what he's like, every one of us aren't any smarter, not than Joshua or Carl Sagan. We're not even as smart as a dog. You see, none of us really know in our own understanding. One of the most incredible, incredible deceptions is that a lot of us have it in our heart that we're experts about God. We really do. It's, it's ingrained in the human psyche. We all think we know for sure about God. The truth of the matter is, we don't know anything about God in our own initiative, by our own exploration. That's what Augur is saying. He's saying, I'm the most ignorant of men. I don't have a man's understanding. There are some people that think they know how to live a wise life. See, some of you sit there, even when I'm teaching the book of wisdom, like we're talking about Proverbs, and some of you sit there and you did this many years ago, you said, oh, listen to David. He thinks he really knows a lot about raising kids and about getting along with husband and wives. Just wait till he grows a little bit older. If we had real transparency this morning, some of you older ones would say, ha-ha, that's exactly the way I thought. I want to confess something to you. I don't know anything about raising kids. Dave Wurtzen, in his own words, is foolish about raising kids. I don't know about God. I don't know anything about God in my own strength. It would be audacious for me to think I knew anything about more about God than Carl Sagan does. And he's talking about receiving radio beams from outer space. That's God. 
I want you to be honest about this. It's very, very important. You need to begin at ground zero. You're never going to find a life of wisdom if you think you can get a PhD in nuclear physics, if you can think you can get a PhD in psych, you think you can get a PhD in chemistry, whatever it might be, and you're going to get to know God through your own human wisdom. In other words, climbing up, I'm going to learn a detail about God every day. You see, that great ultimate being, that great ultimate power, whatever he is, whatever his name is, you and I can't get to know him through our own initiative. We're all like little children. Augur was smart enough to know that. He said, I'm the most ignorant of men. He, he, I could paraphrase this. There are some men that think they know all about how to live a skillful life. There are some people that think they know all about the Holy One. He says, I'm not one of those men. Then he asked some questions which clarify why he said that. Who has ever gone up to the heaven and come down? If you want to know God, some of you sit here and say, I don't believe there's a God. You know, that's really a very stupid thing to say. You say, well, I'm going to be very scientific. All right, if you're going to be very scientific, then you should explore every nook and cranny of the universe. Because your statement, there is no God, can only be verified if you searched out every universe, every place you could ever imagine, if you could get into beyond. In other words, if you're really going to be scientific, you ought to die and go wherever the dead go. You say, oh, I think they just die and that's it. How do you know that? Do you have scientific proof for that? If you really want to answer this question, knowledge of the Holy One, I can speak to you accurately about God. If you really want to talk to me about God, then you're going to have to go to the heavens. Carl Sagan is an astronomer. If Carl Sagan's really going to teach me about God, he needs to explore every nook and cranny of the universe. In his novels, he talks about God being a great ultimate something. And he talks about the need for us to try to listen to voices that might be able to tell us out there about that something. What I want to ask him is something. Carl, how do you know for sure that's what's out there? You've been looking at the heavens with your telescopes. I love to read what you write about astronomy because he writes so beautifully about astronomy. I would encourage some of our young people to get involved in that. It's kind of a strange life. I think you spend half your life up all night long. But what a thrilling life to use some of the most powerful telescopes in the world and just be able to look at the heavens and keep discovering star after star. And some Christians are so afraid. Oh, no, they found another star system. And man, how, what, is, what could Jesus ever know about that? Well, men alive, we need to find out about God's heavens. We need to find out about the stars. In fact... If you're ever going to find somebody that really knows about God, you better find somebody who went to the ultimate place in the heavens. Not just our universe heavens that Carl Sagan talks about, but how do you know there aren't other dimensions? How do you know there aren't other worlds? How do you know there, there isn't a whole other sphere of reality that you can't even imagine? You better go there too. You need to go to the very dwelling place of God, whoever he might be. Then you can tell me authoritatively whether or not there is a God, and if there is, what he's like. 
I'll tell you something, another question. In other words, first question you need to answer, if you're going to teach me about God, whoever is going to teach you about God needs to be someone who's gone to the ultimate heavens and can tell you about the ultimate dimensions of reality. Second of all, it needs to look what else Augur said. Who has ever ever gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Mary last night went out on our back porch, was perfectly still. Some of you might, did any of you do that last night? I mean, it was dead still. And all of a sudden she comes running and she says, you won't believe this. I mean, it's just totally dead still and suddenly, boom! Man, the wind just starts battering about 50 miles an hour. Unbelievable. How many of you wrapped the wind up in the hollow of your hand last night? You went outside, grabbed that wind, and just put it in your hand, kind of rolled it up, kind of like playing with a ball. Anybody do that last night? How many of you went out in your back porch? Wind, stop. We've had enough. You're blowing my bushes around my backyard around too much. How many of you all did that? Then don't tell me you know anything about God. Because whoever God is, Whoever God is has control of the wind. How many of you kids got a little bit afraid last night? Come on, be honest. How many of you adults got a little bit afraid last night? They'll be more honest. When you watch those big thunderstorms rolling in, it's a little bit scary. You know what? You ought to be afraid of that. That's an unbelievable force. It's an unbelievable power, the power of the wind. And Augur asked a very important question. Who wrapped up who wrapped up, has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands. That's how big God is. He can gather the wind in his hands. Isn't it great to know that we don't need to be afraid of the wind because our Heavenly Father is the one that can gather the wind in his hands? This is Dave Wurtson, and we're going to be able to continue our study uh, the next time we get together, but it's such a great privilege to be able to know as we open up the pages of Scripture that the Lord of the Bible is a Lord that is ultimately the Creator. He's the one that spoke the present creation into existence. And yet it's also comforting to know as we were closing today's program and we were speaking about the one that gathered the wind in his hands and was able to control them, I couldn't help but think, of the time on the Sea of Galilee when the Lord God of heaven in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, on the Sea of Galilee when the terrible storm came up and the disciples thought that all was lost and that they were in a very treacherous, disastrous situation. Remember, Jesus woke up and he stood up in that boat and he stretched out his hand over that sea and he gathered that wind in the hollow of his hand and the sea became calm and still. You know, I think there's probably some of you that really don't need wind control today, but you need heart control today. You need comfort. You need peace. It seems like your whole life has become a battleground, and your whole life has become full of storms and wind, and, and it seems like everything is blowing apart. Oh, what I, I want you to know that Jesus loves us today. Jesus is ultimately writing the story of history. Jesus is the one that we can be confident one day will be ruling as king of the mountain. And I trust that deep in your soul that you'll be living close to him and that that wonderful counselor, that prince of peace who wants to give you a peace, a shalom deep in your life, I pray that he'll come in. 
And if we can help you to do that, if we can answer some of your questions, if, if we can just give you some insight, some of you, that, as we're in this present series on raising worldly wise but innocent kids, if there's anything that we can do to help you know how to have wisdom in bringing your children in touch with this living Christ, we want to be a help to you.